This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. The reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So I mentioned, am I on? Okay, good. This thing on? Uh, so I mentioned last week that Courtney and I started taking ballroom dancing. And um, yeah, we did. And it's a lot of fun. And every man in here, you should do it if you're a real man. But uh, there's something, there is something about knowing and there's something different about doing. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to do. And that really does apply to ballroom dancing in a lot of ways. So uh, our teachers are uh, Matt and Don Motley, and they've taught us like the steps to swing. I would do them, but you couldn't handle it. Uh, but you do the, the steps, and you, so you learn the steps, and you know the steps, and they taught us the steps to the waltz, and there's specific steps that you take, specific, specific steps that she takes, and, and you gotta know them, you gotta know what they are. But it's one thing to know, it's a whole other thing to actually do to music on time. And so you have to practice and practice and get there. And if I don't do my part, it makes it so much harder for her to do her part. And it's not just knowing the right steps, it's executing those steps. Uh, Apply to marriage, maybe? Just a little bit. So we're gonna talk about marriage again today. Uh, Last week, we talked about the formation of marriage where God um, creates woman, brings her to the man, and we looked last week at how important marriage is. We made that commitment to make marriage an important thing. Well, then we get to this today in uh, 24, and 25 is really gonna be our focus, and here's the, the passion I'm going for today, and that's this. I will do marriage God's way, not just know that marriage is important, but I'm actually gonna do it. I'm actually gonna live differently as a husband or a wife. And again, I wanna say I recognize that everyone in the room is there, uh, but certainly to do this text of justice, we're gonna focus on that. So what I wanna do is pull from these two verses, 24 and 25, four important steps or four fundamentals for a successful marriage. And here is fundamental number one. You can write this down, to leave 
Fundamental number one in having due to, in doing marriage God's way is leave. And we get that right from the first word. Now, you notice this uh, in 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. We've always told you in biblical interpretation that the therefores are important. And it's, it's like the end of an if-then statement. If this is true, then this must be true as well. If my car needs gas to run, then I better fill my car up with gas on a regular basis. So what he's saying is, since God himself is the author of marriage and God made woman, and there was, uh, it was not good that man should be alone. And so a helper was made for him because God ordained all of this, then you have a therefore. And what follows in these two verses is really the application, how we should live differently because this is true. And the first thing he points to is this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And so that first, very, uh, very first principle in all of this is to leave, to leave. So this is a, a diagram that we often use in biblical counseling to help understand this principle. So uh, principles and practices. Everyone say those two words with me. There's principles and then there's practices. Okay, principles drive practices. So we know truth, but then there are implications of how that should change the way we live. That's the essence of knowing and doing. You know the principles, but they should result in practices. So here's the principle. God has this temporary, permanent, temporary, doing the right way, temporary, permanent, temporary things set up in Scripture. So you have, first of all, a, a man and a woman, and they're going to have a child, that relationship is temporary. And of course, you're always gonna have kids and uh, we just had Grant over last night to celebrate his birthday, and, uh, but he no longer lives with us. He has now left the home. So that's, it was temporary as we raised him, but now hopefully one day he's gonna find a wife and that's gonna become a permanent relationship. They shall become one flesh. Now, one day, that, that child will then also have children, and that becomes another temporary relationship. You get the idea? So temporary, they go into the home, they become one flesh. This is the permanent relationship spawning off other temporary relationships. There's the principle. Uh, so how does that impact? Well, here it is. That means then the most important relationship in a family is the one between husband and wife. That means that she is most important to him and he is most important to her. Do you get this? Other relationships are temporary. This relationship is permanent. The most important relationship in a family is the one between the husband and the wife. That means she is most important to him and he is most important to her. So here's some other implications of that. First of all, your spouse wins over your parents when it comes to decisions in the home. Uh-oh, you got some trouble now. <laughs> it seems like a no-brainer when you just put it up there, but I'm telling you, in my um, marriage counseling experience, this has become a challenge in a lot of families. She can't seem to make a decision without calling her dad and seeing if it's okay with him first. If it's not okay with him, they're not doing it. Or more often the case, mama just can't seem to let her baby boy go. 
And I've heard some stories that are just, just so interesting. Now, by the way, this does not apply to me and Madeline. I will always be the one making the decisions in her life, just so you're aware of that from here on out. Baby girl, write it down. It's going to happen. Um, but for everybody else, for everybody else, it's really important that uh, your spouse uh, wins over your parents. And, and I get some stories I've heard were just crazy. There was a story of a, of a, of a guy who, um, he, he, for all growing up, on Valentine's Day, he'd always give his mama a bouquet of flowers, and he would love her that way. Well, then he gets married. And, and so Valentine's Day comes and goes, and he decides, I'm going to not give a bouquet to my mama now. I'm going to give a bouquet to my wife. After all, it's Valentine's Day. That makes a whole lot of sense. Didn't make sense to mama. Mama calls, and she's like, what are you doing? And she literally says, you shouldn't let any other woman take my place. She will never love you like I do. I've heard stories of mother-in-laws not agreeing with the choice of doctor, and so like she will call as if she's the, the, the daughter-in-law and cancel appointments, and the daughter-in-law shows up, and all of a sudden, you're, you called yesterday and you canceled the appointment. No, I didn't. Someone did. I heard one story of a mother-in-law that was so adamantly against this couple's choice of adoption that she sits them down and lectures them and she says, look, why do you wanna take other people's kids that they don't want? Those kids always have a lot of problems and they're all into drugs. It's horrible, horrible things. And it's leaving. Your mom is no longer your authority. Your dad's no longer your authority, with one exception. That all is now the spouse the husband and the wife and the most important relationship in the family is that between the husband and wife, not the in-laws. But this is also true. Your spouse wins over the kids when it comes to functioning in the home. Spouse wins over the kids. And I, and I think that if you, um, if you, once you have kids, you realize kids change everything. As soon as that little baby comes into your life, nothing's the same ever again. And I literally mean never again. And it's good, it's wonderful. And I've heard, you know, husbands complain early on in the child's life, oh, she just gives so much attention to the baby. Uh, yeah, dude, because babies need that much attention. You know, own up a little bit here. But there is a balance to all of that. And, and a child-centered home, listen to me now, a child-centered home is not a healthy home. It's not. It's so obvious that um, I decided to get uh, use some new technology to write my sermon this week, and, and I got onto ChatGPT. You familiar with ChatGPT? You've heard about this thing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, it's this, you know, you can type in, you can ask it questions, but I'm gonna try this out a little bit. So I went in there and typed, give me three indications of a child-centered home, and it gave some pretty good thoughts here, so I'm gonna preach them. Um, <laughs> every week now, I, I can just, one day, you're not gonna need pastors. You're just gonna wheel a TV screen up and good morning, I'm your pastor and it's gonna just go and you know, that's what it's gonna be. But no, here's, here's some really, this is three actually good, good things and we'll expound on these, but uh, how do you know you have a child-centered home? Well, when the parents prioritize their children's or child's needs above their own or above their spouse's needs. If that's happening on a regular basis, you might have a child-centered home. How about the child wants and needs, the child's wants and needs takes precedence over the needs of the family as a whole? 
Hey, what do you want to have for supper tonight, little Jimmy? What cup do you want to drink from, Jimmy? Which house do you think we should buy, little Jimmy? <laughs> Look, I've seen it. It's out there and uh, crazy stuff. The parents are overly involved in their child's life to the point of hovering. If, if that's happening, there's a lack of boundaries. It doesn't lead to good things, and that might be it. And I, I just would say be very, very careful of the fact that it's easy to have a child-centered home. And so, I, listen, even computer AI knows it's bad, all right? So it's a bad thing. And I will say again, very, very importantly, the most important relationship in my family is the one between, in any family, is the one between husband and wife. And that means she is most important to him and he is most important to her. Leave father and mother and be joined to the wife, which brings us to our second fundamental of marriage. Second fundamental of marriage is this, to cleave, leave and then cleave. It says he leaves father and mother and then he holds fast to the wife. And what happens on the wedding day? What happens when a couple becomes marriage, married is a new thing starts, a whole new beautiful um, relationship that's permanent is formed at that wedding day. It's a new dynamic. And while we still honor and respect our parents, we're called to establish our own households, now listen, and to take up the responsibilities that God has given us in the home. A new thing begins and new responsibilities take place. So we need to be sure that we are functioning with the responsibilities that God has given us. Now, in the um, counseling room, we teach it this way. We call this the marriage wheel. And here's why we call it a wheel. Sometimes you'll notice in your marriage that you're stuck and your marriage is not moving like it should. What has happened? Sometimes you feel like, no, we're going backwards. We're spinning the wrong way. How do I get that wheel turning in the right direction again. And what we say is that, well, be sure that you are living out the roles and responsibilities of a husband and a wife. Be sure you're living in the roles and responsibilities of a husband and a wife. You get that thing turning. In other words, am I doing what God wants me to do? In this marriage, is that what I'm doing? Am I doing what God would have me to do? Well, how do we know what God wants us to do in a marriage? If only he would have written it down someplace, given us some instruction. And of course he has. Would you take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter five? Ephesians chapter five. Love, love, love the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians one through three, we have Paul lining out. These are the principles of the gospel that you should be living in your life. And he takes three chapters to establish the importance of gospel principles. So listen, just right off the bat, let me say, the motivation for marriage and doing marriage God's way is because God loves me so much. And God's been gracious to me. The gospel is my motivation for marriage. Say that with me. The gospel is my motivation for marriage. I didn't hear you, try it one more time. The gospel is my motivation for marriage. There we go. And it's very, very true. But uh, let's take a look then about how the instruction that God has given. And would you look at Ephesians chapter uh, five, verse 22 to start with. Ephesians 5, 22. Ephesians 5, 22 says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So let's just talk about this in the language of a dance. So the husband leads. The husband leads. What's the function of a husband? Well, he is to lead. God has a design for the home, and it shouldn't surprise us. Our God is a God of design and order, and his design for the home is for the husband to be the leader in the home. So what does that mean? Well, that means he says, hey, we're going to church today. Let's do it. He says, hey, we should pray about this together and get God's wisdom on this. He says, here's what God would have us do in this. And we can talk lots more about what it means to lead, but a a husband is the one who is leading in front, being the example, shepherding his home well. Husbands lead. So what do wives do? Well, then wives uh, submit. And I know that's a bad word in our language today. We don't like talking about the idea of submission, and yet it's right here in Scripture not only here, but also in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 3, we see it there as well. And God giving instruction to that. Now, you have to understand that word in the right light. And all you have to do to get it in the right light is think about Jesus. Because Jesus submitted to the Father. Jesus submitted to wicked government officials that put him on a cross. Jesus submitted to the point of death. And so when a wife follows suit in that way, when a wife submits to a husband, she's just modeling what Christ has done and showing her trust in Christ. Now, I have to say, I've been married for 20 (laughs) years, and um, 27? Courtney will know, uh, for sure. Uh, But, you know, and I look back at our marriage, and the times where I have said, nope, we're doing it my way, are very few and far between, and mostly having to do with fried chicken for dinner that night, okay? That's mostly what it is. No, but seriously, it's like, the, I mean, there's, there's most of the time when we're talking about this relationship, it is Courtney and I talking together and working together and thinking together and deciding together, and there's ever a time when we don't agree and I feel God would have us do something, I'm gonna pick up and I'm gonna take that lead. Why? Because here's my next role, I love her. Love and leadership without love is not godly leadership. Can I say it again? Leadership without love is not godly leadership. And we see this in verse number 25 of Ephesians chapter five. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Leading must, must, must be accompanied and saturated in love. Listen to me. The wife should feel so loved, so cherished by her husband that she knows wherever he leads is gonna be, from his perspective, and he believes deeply, it is for our good. And I know he loves me, and therefore I can trust him more. By the way, that looks like this next step for the wife. So you got the husband leading, the wife submitting, the husband loving, the wife honoring, honoring and this is Ephesians 5, verse number 33. So look at Ephesians 5, 33, which says this. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects or honors her husband. Husbands are, our wives are to honor their husbands. Let me tell you something right now. Here's a massive tip, wives, listen up. If you look at your husband this week, 
and you say to him, honey, you've got this. I believe in you. If anyone can do this, you can do it. I'm behind you all the way. You tell him that this week. And he'll be like, where's that dragon? I will rip its heart out. I, mean, I don't even need a sword. I will just use my bare hands and conquer that dragon. I'm telling you, he'll say that. Husbands long for the adoration of their wife. Yeah, but have you seen my husband? He's that much to admire. I get it, I know. But you don't honor him because he's worthy of honoring just as he doesn't love you because you're worthy of love. You honor him because God has called you to honor. Husbands lead, wives submit, husbands love, wives honor, husbands learn. That's a weird one, Pastor. Where are you getting that from? Good question. Here's 1 Peter 3, 7. Check this out. Likewise, husbands, dwell with, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since you are heirs together in the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Right there in the text, man, we're to know, we're to dwell in an understanding way. Here's what that means. You can say all you want to, well, I show you my love all the time. But if she says, I don't see it, then you're not showing it right. And you have to learn and know her to be able to properly express love in a way that she feels loved and feels cherished. And that means, man, you've got to be a student of your wife, which means you've got to be talking and asking questions and spending time and being together and making note. Like when we went to Center Jewelry this past week and I was just watching and seeing the things that she paused by and picked up and took little pictures of them. So later, I can surprise her by saying, hey, baby, check this out. <gasps> you know me so well. Yep, I do. <laughs> or just take Madeline with me and she can say, that's what mom likes. Boom, we're there. But the <laughs> point is, is that we're to learn, we're to learn. And, and man, I've been, again, I've been married for 27 years. I, I know that, that it's, it's a constantly changing thing. And my wife is changing and growing and all these things. And, and so I'm not ever done with being a student of Courtney, but I'm called by God. I'm called by God to know her and to learn her. Is your marriage stuck? Dude, maybe you need to learn your wife. And then the last role and, and responsibility of a wife is to help her husband. And we spent a lot of time talking about this last week, so I'm not gonna dwell on it too much, but he needs you. And he's weak in areas that you are strong and you need to be there for him. And I just wanna say once again, I know I said it last week, I'll say it again, that also means that there are times when you need to, to point out his weaknesses and that's a role of a wife. Dude, it's not okay that that's happening in our home. It's not okay that you're sitting that way. It's not that you're the silent little quiet, you never, no, 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 being a helper means that sometimes you gotta say, you need to grow in this area, honey. With love and respect, yes, but you can't always be his cheerleader, and that's, um, that's an important thing to understand and know. All right, I, I feel like that was a kind of like a fire hose, and uh, I have a booklet on all this stuff. We have booklets for this. If you go to our website, go to booklets, go to the marriage stuff. We have the wife's role, we have the husband's role, and we go much more in depth about these, asking questions, showing you scripture, but these are the roles and responsibilities of cleaving and in and, and, and this new relationship, picking up these responsibilities and being that way. Let's talk about that, leaving. Cleaving, and here's the next one, write this down, to weave, weaving, weave together. I don't know who originally came up with leave, cleave, weave. Um, 
So I'll just claim it. It was me. Uh, no, <laughs> it was in everything I read this week, but it's really, really good. But uh, here's the idea behind weaving. Look at verse number 24 again. And it says at the end of that, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, there's, there's a lot to that statement that it goes beyond just the physical. I'll say it this way. There is no other relationship in human experience as intimate as the marriage relationship. There is no other relationship in human experience as intimate as the marriage relationship. And there's so many ways that Courtney and I share this life together as one in our decisions, in our parenting, in, in so, so many ways. Having said that, I do feel like it's important to lean a bit on the physical relationship just because this ends up being one of the biggest contentions in, in a lot of marriages. And so we need to talk a little bit about that because God's word talks about the physical relationship of man and wife. God's word talks about it. In fact, Hebrews 13 verse four says this, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And God says this whole thing is honorable. I heard a pastor once say, sex in marriage is as holy as going to church, as holy as Sunday school, as holy as taking communion. It's a part of what God has designed in the marriage. And we are living in a culture that has degraded and disgraced the marriage relationship. The world's view of sexual freedom disgraces the marriage bed. And we put it on our TV screens and watch it for entertainment. Pornography disgraces the marriage bed. And if our church is like the average church in America, 50% of the people attending church have viewed pornography in the last three months. Adultery, of course, disgraces the marriage bed. But God would have it be a beautiful place for both a husband and a wife, and it should be a t place of tenderness and sweetness and a unique vulnerability that you would know nowhere else. But let's get some more instruction on this and have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Like I said, the Bible speaks about this relationship, so it's very important that we lean in on the word of God and we understand what God's word has to say. And so we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is giving instruction, and take a look at verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which says this, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, now just hang on, we're, we're getting further, chill out, verse number 2, but because of the temptation of se to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The wife should give the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then 
but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me pull a couple of important principles out of this text. Uh, write this down. A proper sexual relationship can fight, can help fight sexual immorality. A proper sexual relationship can help fight sexual immorality. It's exactly what the text says. And sex is something from God, and it's good to desire it and not wrong to desire it, but God has given us marriage to be the place where it should be desired. And if done right, nothing else compares. And listen, if functioning right in a marriage, the other temptations become much less. Imagine walking out of Ruth Chris Steakhouse having gorged on delicious top quality steak. Never been there, I've only heard stories. However, gift cards are accepted. But, uh, just kidding, don't, 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 don't. But um, uh, you know, imagine walking out of Ruth Chris Steakhouse stuffed to the gills with top quality food and looking at McDonald's across the street. You're gonna be like, ugh. Doesn't compare. Not nearly as good because I'm filled up here. A proper sexual relationship can help fight sexual morality, but also this, very important, uh, another principle, is sex should be freely given and not withheld. Therefore, uh, sex should be freely given and not withheld. And let me say very, very carefully about this text. There have been husbands that have used this text to beat their wives spiritually into submission, and there is such a thing as spiritual abuse. There is such a thing as a husband who has authority. By the way, the, the word in the Bible for this is oppression. And I think that it gets confusing when you're using you know, words like abuse because you know, physical abuse is easy to see. Sexual abuse is, is kind of easy to see. It's harder to see uh, uh, spiritual abuse or domestic abuse, uh, marital abuse, but, but it happens. And the word in the Bible means to choke down from above. And the idea is when you have a position of authority and you use that to coerce your, and someone else to do what you want them to do and you're harming them along the way, that's abuse, that's oppression. And God hates oppression. And God says that he will, he will judge the oppressor and give relief to the oppressed. Really important to understand that husbands have used this to oppress their wives and it's not okay and look, just as this is in the Bible, so is love your wife as Christ loved the church. So is dwell with her in an understanding way. So before you make demands on her, pal, be living up your end first. And so you got that perfectly. Don't use scripture to beat her. Is that clear enough? All right, I want to make sure that's really, really clear. But having said that, in a home where love is reigning and care is given, understanding is existing, Sex should not be withheld, but freely given. Here's the point. Sex and, marriage, sex and marriage can and should be a beautiful, loving, intense moment of intimacy. And we have to fight to protect this. Men, fight your selfishness. Women, fight your selfishness. Love your spouse, even in this way, weaving. 
Let's uh, end here on the next and last verse. This uh, last verse is verse now back in Genesis chapter two, uh, verse number 25. I want you to take a look at verse number 25. Here's the principle first. It is to believe. So leave, cleave, weave, believe. Oh, why'd you choose that word, pastor? Just because it rhymed? No, listen, quit accusing me of stuff. I, don't, I didn't do that. Uh, you'll see in a minute. Take a look at verse number 25. And the man sh- uh, and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. What a statement, really. And I want you to think of the beauty of this statement. Trusting deeply. Feeling completely open, fully exposed, but yet no need for shame. Yeah, true, they have perfect bodies. Because God just made them. And we have no idea what they look like. Maybe like this. You don't know. You weren't there. Maybe the perfect body's a little bit of pudge on the belly, right? You have no idea. Get up off me. But true, whatever it was, they had the perfect bodies. And yes, they were completely sinless, but I believe this is a picture of what marriage can be. It's why he mentions it. Exposed and unashamed or as we love to say around here, fully known and fully loved. Say it with me, fully known and fully loved. Is that even possible to be in a marriage where it is all on the table, spiritually speaking, and and your wife knows everything and the husband knows everything and yet you can dwell in safety and love? How in the world is that possible? Does that mean, man, I have to just be perfect in the way I live? I can't have sin in my life, otherwise I'm gonna be in trouble? Is that what that means? No, what it means is that in the marriage, we believe the gospel. I told you it applied. We believe the gospel and we live in the gospel. And it can be a beautiful thing. So how do we have a home where we are fully known and fully loved? How do we have that? Well, first of all, this, sin is confessed. And it's not as easy as a simple sentence seems to indicate, because sin brings shame. Confession takes humility. But it also takes something else. Listen, husband and wife, for a spouse to feel like they can confess sin, they have to feel safe to confess sin. And the problem often in our marriages is that it's so painful to our spouse that it makes confession so very hard. I don't want to hurt her. I just would rather keep this hidden. Or she would say the same thing. I don't want to hurt him. I, I don't think he needs to know this. I don't want him to think less of me. I don't want her to think less of me. Confession exposes it. It's a scary thing. But remember this. If you really believe the gospel you have already been exposed to the most holy being in the universe. God is infinitely more holier than your wife or your husband ever can be. You've already been exposed to that. But it also means that we have to, listen to me now, that we have to be okay with the fact that we're married to a sinner. That I gotta be okay with the fact that their sin in my spouse's life. And sometimes we just need our spouse to be something that really only Jesus can be to us. 
And so when sin is exposed and sin is confessed, our world crumbles and it shouldn't because only Jesus should be the foundation of our world. You tracking with me on this? So having a proper understanding of the gospel, who Christ is, that, that gives us the freedom to confess. So listen, when you remember how the cross has exposed you, you can confess more freely. When you are free from being your spouse's source of fulfillment, you can confess more freely. To live exposed and unashamed, you have to confess. And then this, sin is not only confessed, sin is forgiven. Sin is forgiven. And this too is much easier to say than it is to live out. But here's what I'd say to all that. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. It was a point that Jesus made when Peter came to him and said, how often should we give our brother who sins against us and ask for forgiveness? Seven times seven, and, or seven times? And Jesus said, no, surely I tell you. What did he say? 70 times seven. Then he went on to tell a parable of a, a servant who owed a master a great amount of money. That amount of money was uh, 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents. So what, how much was that exactly? How much did this servant owe the master? Remember the story, right? He was forgiven of all of that. He was forgiven of his debt. And then he went to find someone who owed him uh, 100 denarii. And he grabbed him and he forced him to pay even though he was forgiven. Well, that servant was thrown into prison because forgiven people must be forgiving. And it's really telling when you begin looking at the numbers. So how much did the first servant owe? Here's some math for you. Uh, so a talent is 6,000 denarii. Denarii is a day's wage. So in today's numbers, I kind of did the uh, math this week and discovered that the average uh, wage of a, for one day of work in America right now is $220. So then 6,000 denarii is $1.3 million. Well, he owed 10,000 talents. That makes it about $13.2 trillion. <laughs> That's a lot of money. That's how much the first servant owed the second servant. Which then when you do the math, how much did the, the second servant owe him? Well, he owed him 100 denarii, which ends up being you know, $22,000. That's a lot of money in one sense. It'd be painful to lose $22,000, can I get a witness? But the point of the text was, forgiven people must be forgiving people. And so in a marriage, when sin is confessed, Sin is forgiven, and how you do that is you remember how much you've been forgiven. This gets blocked with self-righteousness. Well, I'm not as bad as you, or that sin's worse than my sin. Well, maybe between you and I, but not between you and God, a holy, holy, holy God. Now, I, I do need to say this. There needs to be some grace given early on in the confession process because sometimes the confession of the sin is shocking to the other spouse. And there is something physical that goes on with the brain in those shocked moments. They go into a little bit of that shocked state and you're not thinking straight and it takes time just to get there. So be gracious, give your spouse time, but that's all a part of the process. And how do we forgive? Well, here's Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. 
By the way, does that mean you forget the sin? Because we often say this, God forgets. No, the Bible doesn't say God forgets. The Bible said God chooses to remember no more. He remembers no more. That's a difference. When I choose to remember no more, it simply means I'm never gonna bring it up against you again. I'm never gonna bring it up to lay a charge on your account again because I've forgiven you for it. And so we forgive. And then this, grace is celebrated. Grace is celebrated. In, 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 a, in a good marriage that's living in the gospel, we should love grace. We should talk about grace often. We should long to show each other grace and forgiveness because God has done that to us. I love Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't that true? God has so graciously forgiven us and we should be outflowing that to our spouse. That means we rejoice to forgive. That means we love that sin is covered by Jesus and out of the overflow of what we receive, we pour that onto our spouse. That's what it means to live a gospel-centered marriage. Listen, marriage is, after all, a picture of Christ and the church. And our marriage should magnify the gospel to those around us. Naked and unashamed, fully exposed and yet not ashamed, fully known and fully loved. It takes living in the gospel to get us there. So what I wanna do today to end our time together is to remind us all of the gospel. And there's no better picture of the gospel than communion. And so today we are gonna receive the Lord's table together as we think about his broken body and his spilled blood on our behalf. So if I can do this, if I can have the ushers come, if they would please, to help me pass the communion out. Ushers come. Thank you, men. Adam, come. I'm gonna uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll receive it. But what I want you to do is take a moment and, and pray yourself quietly there in your seats. You guys go ahead and start passing it out. Go ahead and do that. Uh, as you get the cups, there are two cups, one with uh, juice, one with bread. As you get the cups, uh, take a moment and I want you to pray, and I want you to confess sin. You know your sin. God knows your sin. Don't hold that back from him. Confess that sin freely to God. And I want you to remember not just your sin, but also his grace. That even though we turned our back on him, even though we failed him, yet he forgives us. Take a moment and reflect on these things.
nothing quite so heartbreaking to me as I think about how my sin can affect my wife and how my sin can affect my family. And it grieves me to acknowledge that and to think about that for sure. But where sin abounded, the Bible says, grace abounded all the more. And there is no sin beyond grace's healing touch. And grace is the thing that we celebrate here. Grace is the thing that we run to here. And grace is the thing we pour on one another. So church, let's remember his broken body together. And let's remember his blood together. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your love. And we pray, Father, that we would adopt that into our hearts on a daily basis. We would remember the gospel every day. And that through that, Father, we would pour love and grace onto each other in a marriage so that we can be fully known and fully loved. And God, when we are functioning in the way that you would have us function, that your word talks about what a beautiful, beautiful thing a home can be and a relationship can be and a marriage can be. And it shows the world what it looks like between Christ and the church. We pray, Father, you'd help us with that more and more. Amen. And before you go, we're also going to do this. Every time we observe communion, we also take up what we call a benevolence fund. We do an offering uh, to help those in need. This primarily is for those within our church first, uh, though it does provide funds even outside of that if necessary. But this is just giving in addition to the regular offerings of our church. This is a chance for you to give to that. So go ahead and ushers come and we'll receive the benevolence fund. Church, I thank you for just being here with us, being together. Um, I'll say this, the elders had a great retreat this past weekend and really, I feel like, set a trajectory for the next 10 years. It's super, super exciting. And so uh, thank you for your prayers on that. Be ready, be ready to work. Can I get a witness? Thank you, church, you are loved.